Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Bithinillah, today we carry on with some of the stories in the 17th juz. The 17th juz, similar to yesterday, the 16th juz, there's a lot of stories that have been mentioned. Allah jalla wa ala, he begins with Surah Al-Anbiya in the 17th juz and Surah Al-Anbiya, meaning the messengers or the prophets, and he mentions quite a few of them in detail. Inshallah, we'll look at a few of the messengers or a few of their stories, the ones who we haven't really touched on. Thereafter, Allah Jalla wa'ala in the second half of the 17th Juz is Surah Al-Hajj. Surah Al-Hajj begins, he mentions the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam, the story of the Hajj, and inshallah, we'll look at that in a little bit. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you, Shaykhana? Alhamdulillah, how are you? Alhamdulillah, good, I'm well. Alhamdulillah. Uh, similar to yesterday, the 16th Jews, there were a lot of stories and we took just a few. Even today in the 17th Jews, we find the first half is Surah Al-Anbiya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a lot of stories of the messengers. Al-Anbiya, meaning the messengers or the prophets. He mentions their stories in a bit more detail. And then the second half of this juz is Surah Al-Hajj. To begin, inshallah, we'll take uh, a few stories just mentioned in Surah Al-Anbiya. When we look at these stories, we find, again, as we mentioned, every time we look at them, every time they're mentioned in the Quran, for a different reason, or even if the story is similar, there are different lessons we can take out of them. Allah Jalla wa'ala, in Surah Al-Anbiya, one of the stories he mentions, he speaks about a father and a son, both who were Nabis, both had kingdom, both had wealth, Dawood and Sulaiman alayhi salam. Allah Jalla wa'ala mentions how they were asked to judge. وَدَاوُودَ وَسُلَيْمَانِ إِذْ يَحْكُمَانِ فِي الْحَفْ Basically, there was a qadiyya or there was some sort of uh, something that occurred and they were asked to judge. So Dawood alayhi salam gave a judgment. After giving his judgment, then these people found Sulaiman alayhi salam and he also gave a judgment. And in this case, Dawood alayhi salam tried his best, but Allah jalla wa'ala says, فَفَهَّمْنَاهَا Sulaiman. When it came to this, we gave Sulaiman alayhi salam, even though it was his son, he was given more insight and more understanding in this, in this case. For me, what stands out? Allah Jalla wa'ala then starts speaking about, you know, the ni'am and the bounties given to these two messengers, Dawood and Sulaiman alayhi salam. Allah says, وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ صَنْعَةَ لَبُوسٍ لَكُمْ لِتُحْصِنَكُمْ مِنْ بَأْسِكُمْ Dawood alayhi salam, we taught him, as mentioned by the Mufassirin, how to make these armors, armor, so they could be protected when they go to war, etc. لِتُحْصِنَكُمْ مِنْ بَأْسِكُمْ Allah then says, فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ شَاكِرُونَ so are you not or would you not be grateful? The Mufassiri mentioned that this teaches us whenever Allah has given you a bounty or a ni'mah, one of the ways in which you show gratitude for this ni'mah is by using it in a way that pleases Allah. Allah has given you a car, Allah has given you a house, Allah has given you wealth, Allah has given you other material items. Yes, you thank him with your tongue, but also when it comes to using these things, you use them to attain his pleasure, and that is part of gratitude. 
Yes, sorry, you kept cutting uh, off the. Uh, were we talking about Sulaiman alayhi salatu wasalam? Yes, Sulaiman. Okay, ah, yes, yes. So Dawood, Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "Wa Dawood wa Sulaiman idh yahkumani fi al-harti idh nafshat fihi ghanam al-qawm wa kunna lihukmihim shahidin." And then later on, Allah subhanahu wa taala uh, mentions how وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ صَنْعَةَ لَبُوسٍ لَكُمْ لِتُحْصِنَكُمْ مِنْ بَأْسِكُمْ And we taught him the fashioning of coats of armor. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him how to fashion coats of armor. And he says the reason لِتُحْصِنَكُمْ مِنْ بَأْسِكُمْ To protect you from your enemy in battle. To protect you from your enemy in battle. So I think this is important for us to today learn how to protect ourselves and how to uh, build that which will protect us. So we find like uh, there are certain self-defense classes that we can take, we can learn uh, karate, etc. You've got taekwondo, uh, you've got different types of uh, self-defense mechanisms and classes that you can learn in order to protect yourself. This is not to attack other human beings or to cause harm or to cause problems on earth, but rather to protect ourselves. This is very, very important, especially uh, living in the world that we do. Uh, the women folk go out. They sometimes come under attack. They need to be able to protect themselves. And this is very, very important uh, because in various parts of the world, we have, uh, you know, people attacking Muslimin, etc. When you can uh, do something about it, you've got to try and do something about it by uh, learning these self-defense classes, etc. Yes, defense, when it comes to, you know, yourself, you've got, uh, you learn how to defend yourself and that comes with its discipline also. It comes with its responsibility when it comes to using uh, such defense, etc. Also, there is, yes, the physical side of defense, but then there's also a psychological side. You have to know how to protect yourself from certain ideologies, ideas, etc. Allah Jalla wa'ala then speaks about Ayyub alayhi salam, one of, uh, one of the anbiya who was tried and tested. He went through a lot of tests, a lot of difficulty, but he was patient. Allah Jalla wa'ala makes mention of his story. He says, وَأَيُّوبَ إِذْ نَادَ رَبَّهِ Basically, throughout this difficulty, he calls out, he makes dua to Allah Jalla wa'ala. Allah Jalla wa'ala then says, and we responded to his dua. We accepted his dua. And we gave him much more. We gave him his family. We gave him this. We gave him that. We gave him so many things. For me, what stands out at the end, Allah Jalla wa'ala mentions that this story is a dhikra. It's a reminder for those who worship Allah, for those who are patient, for those who are going through difficulty. For those who are going through difficulty, it's a reminder that not every difficulty is because, you know, there's something wrong with you. Here is a Nabi of Allah, a Prophet, a Messenger. And Allah Jalla wa'ala mentions how much difficulty he went through. And he says that his story is mentioned as a reminder. Reminder for everybody, yes, but also for those who are going through difficulty. That bi'idhnillah, you know, the time will come and it will pass. Yes, I think we, we tend to forget that this difficulty will pass. Uh, it's a reminder for us as well as to how... You know, the, the story itself is a reminder to us as to how difficulty will pass and it will leave eventually. Uh, you know, building on the similar uh, similar point or the same point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when Ayyub alayhi salatu wasalam called out to him, 
that harm has afflicted me and you are the most merciful of those who are merciful look at his adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he doesn't blame Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for anything that has afflicted him or come to him but rather he says harm has afflicted me oh Allah so his wording is very very uh, intelligent he knows how he should behave with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he knows his place with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is something that we can all learn from we, we don't need to uh, you know blame Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for anything but rather ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to remove the harm yes harm has touched me and you are the most merciful of those who are uh, merciful. It is said that he didn't even want to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly because he felt ashamed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him so many bounties for so long, yet afflicted him for a short period of time in comparison to that. Uh, so he didn't even want to ask directly. So he says, And you are the most merciful of those who are uh, merciful. So I think adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that we uh, can all benefit from. Yes, as you mentioned, adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even when asking, you know, when asking, there's a way to make dua, there's an etiquette. There are etiquettes mentioned, and it's important to follow these etiquettes. Another important point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything, he sees everything, and Ayyub alayhi salam is still saying, Anni masani al-dur. Basically, harm has afflicted me. So there's a way in asking. You have to show that you're in need of Allah, and Allah is the only one who can help you. Yes, yes, absolutely. Shall we move moving on? on to the, yeah, moving on to the next story. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions the story of the Noon or Yunus alayhi salam. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala had given him an instruction to wait, and you know he carried on. He left the people because they had rejected, and eventually he gets into a boat. And he's taken in by a whale. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Basically, after he was taken into this whale in the darkness, the darkness of the whale, the darkness of the sea, darkness upon darkness, and he calls out to Allah, La ilaha illa ant calling out to Allah, acknowledging that he is one, no one worthy of worship except Allah. Inni kuntum and I am from those who have wronged myself. Something else we learn, we mentioned before an etiquette of dua, here we learn, you know, to call out to Allah and acknowledge he is one, to testify and bear witness and also acknowledge your wrongdoing again. Inni kuntum I am from what, those who did wrong, those who made a mistake, here he knows he's made a mistake and he calls out to Allah and Allah says that he was then saved. Yes, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions how he, he left, the noon had left and he went off in anger and thought that he would not decree anything upon him. And he called out in the darkness within, he called out within the darkness. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this, we see that he says, alayhi. So we thought he thought that we would not decree anything against him. So immediately he's calling out in the darknesses. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I find this amazing. 
He's telling us that on one side, he thought that nothing would be decreed against him. Then immediately, he's in the darknesses of the whale, meaning it was such a short period of time. He went into the boat, all of a sudden, he, he was thrown overboard, he was in the, in the belly of the whale, or, or in the belly of the fish. We don't know exactly which fish, but uh, as far as I'm sure, but it was a fish. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him the uh, companion of the fish. So this change in scene is mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as something so quick. It teaches us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to do anything and everything. Nothing, you know, it can escape Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, uh, you, you know, you know, the fact that he was there thinking something and then all of a sudden, uh, he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he's in the and he's calling out in the darknesses. We should never really feel safe uh, from the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, you know, if I'm doing something wrong, we should never feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can't get me or won't get me. But rather, we have our uh, good thought of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and at the same time, the fear of his punishment. You know, as you mentioned, and dua after dua being mentioned in the surah, for those who want to go back to this surah, look at the anbiya, look at the messengers, alayhim salatu wassalam, how they made dua, how they called out to Allah, the etiquette they use. Allah then says at the end, after mentioning quite a few of these anbiya, he says, innahum kanu yusari'una fil khayrat wa yad'oonana raghaban wa rahaban. These people, when it came to doing good, they were in the forefront. They used to be the ones who were hasty, always doing it, you know, at the beginning. They were the first to do it. basically has a few meanings. One of them being they would call out to us, worship us in times of difficulty and in times of ease. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then accepts their dua. Shaykhana, is there anything else you'd like to mention before we go to Surah Al-Hajj? Yes, uh, one, one point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So we responded to him and we removed him from the darkness. You know, this was a physical darkness uh, that we hear about in the, in the ayah, where he was stuck in the belly of this fish. But in reality, we can look at it in our lives as any darkness that overcomes us, any difficulty, hardship, problems, Never think that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You see, Yunus couldn't see the light that was outside. It was dark where he was, but he knew that the light is there because he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always, his doors are always open. He can always call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So no matter how dark it becomes within your difficulty, within your problem, Never think that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Rather, always call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knowing that there is light out there, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will respond. Ultimately, through his wisdom, through his knowledge, through his power, and he is the one who knows everything. Another interesting point, whilst we're on the story of Yunus alayhi salam, after he left, he had left because he thought that these people are going to be destroyed, the punishment will come. So he left. In another place in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, how after he left, his people then believed. The people of Yunus, السلام, when they, you know, they knew the punishment was coming, he had left, they then believed. Yunus السلام, went. There's a few lessons we can take from this. Yes, we mentioned how he had left. Also, when you're doing something in life, yes, there's a time where you've got to be patient 
and you've got to stick it out a bit longer because that result you were hoping for might just end up coming. And there is a time where, you know, you've got to move on. Here we are talking about revelation. Yunus alayhi salam was, you know, he was instructed by Allah, do this and go here and don't go at this time, etc. But however, in our day-to-day lives, sometimes you have to be a bit more patient. And we also understand that at times you have to know when to, I wouldn't say throw in the towel, but when to pivot and change your direction in life. And you never know what you were hoping for. Sometimes you might be there trying your best to achieve a certain result. And when you leave, this this happens. Maybe through somebody else, maybe the people themselves or the result you are trying to achieve, through themselves it happens. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is kareem and he's kind and he's generous and he grants. Absolutely, that's a solid point there, mashallah. Moving on to Surah Al-Hajj, again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Ibrahim alayhi salam, this time mentioning more or speaking more about the actual Hajj. We all know Hajj, the fifth pillar in Islam. The person, you know, he has to have the ability to go for Hajj, both physically and in terms of financially or wealth-wise. Then he goes for Hajj at least once in his lifetime. It is, or once in his lifetime, it is obligatory. And the Muslim should try his best to go for Hajj. The minute you're able to, then try your best and go. You know, you never know what can happen. Imagine all those people who are planning to go for Hajj and then they don't end up living because they've delayed it for so many years. So I think that's important. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Basically speaking about the story of Hajj, he then says, Ibrahim alayhi salam made the call to Hajj, they'll come to you, you know, walking. On every animal that they are able to come, you know, lean camel, and through various means or modes of transport. I think what stands out for me is before Ibrahim alayhi salam makes this call for the Hajj in this surah, how it's mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders him and his son Ismail to prepare the, you know, the Kaaba, the house of Allah, Baytullah al Haram. He says, وَطَهِّرْ بَيْتِيَ لِلْقَائِفِينَ In another verse, وَالْعَاكِفِينَ In this verse, I think, وَالْقَائِمِينَ Basically, prepare and purify the house, the Kaaba, the Haram, etc. I think what we take from this, this purification, yes, spiritually, in terms of worshipping one Allah, but also physically. And it's important from here we take that to keep these places of worship clean. We also know those who are looking after the masajid. You know, they have a very high place in society, maybe not in the physical ranks or the ranks we see, but in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why at the time of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, there was a woman who used to clean the masjid and she passed away and they didn't inform him. So after, they, after a few days, he asked about her, he said, where is this woman? And they said that, you know what, she passed away and we already buried her. So he said, why didn't you tell me about her? And this woman was a poor woman who only used to clean the masajid. So I think that's very important to look after these masajid. And the point I want to get to is, yes, it's a bit far, but it's something we can extract from this. Before Ibrahim alayhi salam calls for the hajj, it's mentioned that he prepares the place. So the Kaaba and the Haram is prepared. And I think in our day-to-day lives, before going into anything, we must have at least a little bit of preparation, know how to do it, get things ready, especially before calling people, you know, to us where we are hosting or we are carrying out something. It's important to prepare. 
Yes, absolutely. That's that's a that's a very powerful point, and I think it's relevant actually, uh, because to extract that from the verse is, is something amazing, mashallah. Uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, al-bayt," and when we designated for Ibrahim the place of the house. Now, I heard this from another scholar, but I can't remember exactly who. Uh, he was saying that why did Allah Subhanahu wa Taala choose Mecca? It's you know land that has no real vegetation. It's mountainous, it's hard, uh, it's, it's harsh landscape. So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala choose this? Because it has absolutely nothing else for a person to go to besides the Kaaba and for Hajj. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such that when people go there, they won't go to see beautiful waterfalls, they won't go to see uh, amazing scenery, they, they'll go to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's hot, it's harsh, it's not easy uh, to go for Hajj. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such that landscape is designated for the Kaaba in order for you to go solely for His sake. And you purify your intention when you do so, uh, so that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone in this manner and single Him out in, in worship. I found that you know something amazing. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually says that he designated the place of the Kaaba for Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam. Subhanallah, this same place where we all go every day or every so often, the Muslims who are able to and fortunate to go there every day or who live around there, or those who have been, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us more, those who haven't been, we ask them to, uh, we ask Allah to be, uh, to grant them the opportunity to visit also. I think a few important things you mentioned there from, we, we could extract one of them being when you're going to Makkah, especially in today's time, yes, alhamdulillah, be grateful. Things have become easy. Before people used to travel on donkeys and camels and horses, it used to take them months in order to reach Makkah. So much so when they used to bid their families farewell or they used to say, you know, the final goodbyes, so to say, they thought that they would never come back. So they would go on this journey for two, three months sometimes. They would go to a place Maybe, you know, they get killed on the way, people die on the way. Imagine if you had to just take, never mind a horse or a camel, a bicycle and start riding for the next hundred kilometers. I don't know how we would feel. You know, even, even if the weather is good, even if everything's going well, imagine you've got to hold all your belongings with you. You've got to hold your tent. You've got to, what about food? And you've got to carry on camping, 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 and eventually you reach Bi'ibnillah. So I think it's important for us to be grateful especially for the means and, you know, the ni'am bounties that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted us in terms of, you know, staying and travel. So many, so many different things. Also, what's important when you are there, remember, you are there to worship Allah at the end of the day. You're not there for tourism, so to say. You're not there to visit, you know, the best restaurant or you're not there to be living. The aim is you're not going there to have a comfortable holiday and come back and just change, you know, have a change in mind. No, you're going there to worship Allah and you've got to remember that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I was I was going to carry on to the next verse. Uh, did, did you want to say anything on, on this? No, I think you can carry on. Inshallah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, And uh, announce the hajj amongst the people they will come to you walking. And they will come on every lean camel. They will come from every distant 
pass. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about coming on foot first. So there's this whole mas'ala whether coming, uh, performing hajj on foot is more beneficial or uh, more rewarding or performing hajj whilst riding because Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam performed hajj whilst riding. So uh, we, we know this from the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu So what, what about the hajj on foot? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talk about hajj on, on, on foot first? So I thought it's something we can put out there and discuss. Uh, ultimately, I don't know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Maybe it's because maybe, maybe, well, ilmu indallah is because, you know, generally the people at the time, especially every, not everybody has an animal, but everybody can walk generally. Not everybody has an animal, but everybody can walk. So generally he's mentioning the more general group to one that's a bit more specific. Again, people who are living close to the Kaaba, they probably don't all have to ride. There's a lot of people who can walk it. Until today, you find people still walking it. Is your reward according to how difficult your hajj was or not? There is one hadith that the Messenger وسلم, is telling one of the Sahabiyat that ala qadri nasabaki or nasabuki, I can't remember. But basically, according to how much difficulty you go through, does that mean you then, you know, go, you then put yourself through that difficulty, especially when, you know, you've got certain means and certain uh, resources? Well, ilmu indallah. But what I think is fair to say is that everybody knows their level and what they can handle. So a walking hajj for a few young men, especially when it's not that hot, may just be something normal. However, if you're old and you still want to walk from, you know, Makkah to Mina to uh, Arafah to Muzdalifah, when it comes to the actual ibadah, where will you have that energy to carry out your dua, to perform that, uh, all those ibadah, to remember Allah? You know, I'll mention an interesting thing. One, two years ago, when I went to Hajj, not last year, the previous year, what's interesting is you would find that because the day of Arafah, especially now in the summer, it's so hot, it's difficult. You find people, they come on the first days, they're full of energy. And then when it comes to the main days, you find because they're tired, they've been walking, it's hot, they end up sleeping a lot, just waiting for the food. Not everybody, no. But it's something that you see. And you've also been, mashallah, more than once to Hajj. Maybe you can tell us about some of the experiences you saw there also. Yes, alhamdulillah. We, we actually did one of the Hajj uh, walking and it's, we were very young, mashallah, and it's, it's a nice experience, to be honest with you. But like you mentioned, uh, I think that the way I see it is, that the Messenger وسلم, always chose that which was easier, as long as it wasn't a sin. So if it's easy for you to get some ride or mode of transport, then take it. And uh, if you want to perhaps at some point test out the walking hajj and try it out, you can. It's uh, as young as young people, we found it a bit difficult, to be honest with you. It wasn't, and we were still young. Uh, so when I say young, I was still in my teens, you know. Um, so it was, it was a bit challenging. It wasn't easy. Uh, it wasn't that, uh, you know, glorious, uh, so to speak, you know, as, as glorified as people make it out to be. Uh, and like you mentioned, you get tired to the point where you get to the tent and you just want to knock out. Uh, there's no time for a worship or ibadah or you have time, but much less than 
you would had you taken a bus or mode of transport uh, that would have made it easy for you. Uh, so I think, they, yeah, <laughs> you could try mm -hmm. it out as an experience, one of the Hajj, if you're doing more than one Hajj. No, I'm really assured that even if you are, you know, you have modes of transport from here to there, there will still be a lot of walking to do. So it's important to prepare for that, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, more importantly, you'll still be doing a lot of walking. It's a very big place, a lot of people, and there's not cars and motorcycles and bikes that can go everywhere. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so is there anything else you'd like to mention? Yes, one, one last point, inshallah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about uh, how لِيَشْهَدُوا مَنَافِعَ لَهُمْ وَيَذْكُرُوا اسْمَ اللَّهِ فِي أَيَّامٍ مَعْلُومَاتٍ عَلَى مَا رَزَقَهُمْ مِنْ بَهِيمَةِ الْأَنْعَامِ فَكُلُوا مِنْهَا وَأَطْعِمُوا الْبَائِسَ الْفَقِيرِ That they may witness benefits for themselves and mention the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on known days over what he has provided for them of sacrificial animals so eat of them and feed the miserable and poor what i find amazing here is that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about benefits for themselves and then mentioning allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remembering him and feeding others as well so these are three aspects that we can actually uh, benefit from and we can uh, apply to not only in the hajj but in our lives as well to worship allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to look after ourselves and to look after others. Uh, if we can do this in our lives, it's a simple formula uh, for success. So ultimately, we will be uh, successful if we follow uh, such uh, teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah. Maybe if you repeat that point, you said, worship Allah, look after yourself and look after others. Others, yes, because الفقير, you know, uh, feed the poor that are desperately in need. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is literally uh, drawing our attention to the fact that not, you know, in Hajj, we, we're supposed to uh, do this. So I, I'm extracting from this that not only in Hajj, but even out of Hajj, you can actually uh, do this in, in, in your life. Look after yourself, look after, uh, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look after his commandments, etc. And uh, look after the people. You mentioned a very important point. Not only that, in the Quran in general, especially when Allah speaks about salah and zakah, roughly 80 odd times he's mentioned them together. And a lot of the scholars mention that, yes, after your belief in Allah, your salah is looking after yourself, firstly, spiritually worshipping Allah, and your zakah is when you are good to the people. So that was a very deep extraction, mashallah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Shaykhana, anything else you'd like to mention? Somebody said, said do you have to be completely debt-free to go for Hajj? Somebody had mentioned that in the comments. Uh, to touch on it in brief, especially in the world we live in today, I think your, your loans or your debts are very different compared to previously. That's why the scholars mentioned that if you've got a long-term loan, sometimes you're getting a loan that you can pay over you know, five years, 10 years, 30 years at times, a lifetime. Do we say that this person, because he's in debt, he doesn't go for Hajj his whole life? No, I think you've got to draw the balance to say that if you've got money and, uh, you know, you don't owe it immediately, maybe you owe it over five, six, 10 years, uh, then go for Hajj. Because ultimately, you'll be able to pay that off. It's not due right now. As for somebody, you know, who has to pay or who's in debt, 
you know, you need to pay now, you need to pay within the year, within the next year, then that would be difficult. However, if let's say somebody is helping you to go for Hajj, somebody is, you know, sending you for Hajj, then there's no harm in, uh, you know, taking up that offer. Yes, mashallah, that's a good uh, question and good answer as well. Shaykhana, anything else you'd like to mention? Allah, yeah, I can't think of anything. I think, uh, inshallah, we'll leave it there. Tomorrow, inshallah, we get to the 18th juz. A lot of people mentioning a few types of loans. It's a long topic. We've just cut it down into one minute or a few minutes, basically saying that if you've got money, that let's say your father gives you money, you get from a relative, and they say, you know what, pay me over the next 10 years or 20 years. I don't think it's right to say that this person is now in debt for 20 years, so he shouldn't go for Hajj. And inshallah, maybe later on, we'll discuss this in more detail, debt, uh, taking out money, etc. Even in Shaykh inshallah, we see you tomorrow. Inshallah, Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.